0: connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message.
1: We're in the second week of a series entitled Awkward, and uh, this series is kind of built around the idea of trying to share our faith with the people around us, but so often we make it really awkward, and we don't want to do that. And so today I want to take you to our passage. It's in John chapter 4. If you would flip over to John chapter 4, and uh, if, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Those guys coming up and down the aisle will hand you one. And uh, we actually have page numbers up here on the screen. It'll tell you what page to turn to in those Bibles that they're passing out. So if you're new with this, uh, this whole church thing, just raise your hand, grab one of those Bibles, and then uh, those page numbers will actually help you to become more familiar with the Scriptures to be able to find it and read along with us this morning. Because we want you to read it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Uh, So this whole series, Awkward, uh, we're wrapping it up today. We kicked it off last week. And the reason for the series is because, like what I said before, we know as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, that we're supposed to share our faith with the people around us. But here's what happens. We step out. We're not real sure how to do it. And in that, we end up making it very awkward or we make it very weird. Two problems with that. First of all, it chases people away. Secondly, We have a bad experience, and so we get to a place where we just don't want to share our faith anymore, and so therefore we're very reluctant at sharing our faith, but yet we know we're supposed to because in Matthew chapter 28, we're given the Great Commission. Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he's standing there with his disciples, and he says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's the evangelistic part of the Great Commission. Then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them everything I've taught you. That's the discipleship part of the Great Commission. So there's two parts of it, evangelizing, which is just sharing your faith, reaching people, helping them come to know Jesus Christ, and then discipling, growing them up in Christ, helping them to learn what it means to grow and to live as Christ. And so there's two aspects of it, and you can't neglect one for the other. And so as a church, we're trying to be very strong in both. We're trying to teach both of those. If you were here at the very beginning of the year, you know we spent several weeks heavily on the discipleship part of it. We talked about backpackers and and how you can grow in your faith and your walk with Christ and the steps or the stages that you need to take. And so we worked on that for a while. Last week and this week, we've turned our focus a little bit more toward the evangelistic side ironically, leading up to Easter, right? Because this is the perfect time for this. And so we want to to put those two things together. And so last week and this week, we're encouraging you to evangelize, to share your faith with the people around you. But as I said before, so often it can get awkward. So I don't want it to be awkward for you. And then if it has been awkward and you've backed away, I don't want you reluctantly trying to share your faith. And so we've been trying to give you some very, very basic ways of, of being able to share your faith with the people around you. Now, here at Mountain View Fellowship, we have a mandate, which is what we call our our mission. It's pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. And so we believe in friendship evangelism, of just fostering relationships with people uh, in hopes that they would come to this place where they would want to hear about the Jesus that you serve. And so this is the way that we do it. And we we say that we're going to foster relationships in three different ways. Up with God daily, in with each other weekly, out with somebody who doesn't know Christ at least once a month. That's the evangelistic part of it. And so hopefully every one of you, you've got people in your life, whether it's family members or friends, coworkers, uh, fellow students at school, whatever it might be, that don't know Christ that you're fostering a relationship with. And we'll talk about why that's so important here in just a minute. But we kicked this series off last week by asking an important question. We said, when you go to share your faith with somebody, are you doing that uh, with the sole purpose of saving them? Is that your goal when you share your faith? Is that the role that you play is to save somebody? And that's why we share our faith. And last week, what we learned is that's not our role at all. And actually, our role is just to plant and water seeds. That's what we're called to do. And so this is our goal. And this hopefully took a lot of pressure off of a lot of us because when we think it's our job to save someone and we start to share our faith, we start to pressure, we start to push, and we, we make things really awkward. And so hopefully by understanding that our role is to plant and water and that's it, it takes the pressure off and you can relax and you can begin to share your faith in a very natural way with the people around you, knowing that it's not your job to save. Jesus is the Savior, not you and not me. We found out last week also that only God has the power to make it grow. So you might share your faith over and over and over again, and you're not seeing any growth, and you might be frustrated with that, don't be frustrated by that. Know that your job is to to plant and water. It's God's job. It's His role to make it grow. And so um, today, what I want to do is I want to give us some very practical ways that we can share our faith. Today is not going to be revolutionary, okay? You came in on Palm Sunday. We're not going to give you some deep theological lesson that you've never heard about before. I'm going to give you some very practical, some very basic steps today. And if you're asking, well, why would you do that on Palm Sunday? Let me tell you why. It's because I believe that we're not doing what God has called us to do. And so I want to encourage you, I want to equip you to be able to do those things that God is calling us to do. Now, these practical steps for For planting and watering reminds me of my wife's little cart. She's got this cart. She likes to go out and plant flowers and things, and she has this little cart that has wheels on it. She takes it out, and maybe some of you have one of these. She got it from Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, and and she sets it down and sits on it, and it rolls up and down the sidewalk, and she can do her thing without bending over the whole time. In that, uh, she's got all kinds of tools that she uses to plant She's got this little digger thing that she can stick in the ground, and it's like the perfect size for these little plants. She's also got this little fork-looking thing that she sticks in to pull up weeds. You can tell how much I use these things, right? I don't even know what they're called, but it's all these different tools. And she does have one that I'm, I'm very familiar with, though. It's these uh, shears, these cutters that she uses to prune. Those things are super sharp. And usually when she goes out to work in the garden, she's checking her tools and she'll come back in and go, hey, where are my cutters? And I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, I used them. Here you go. And I have to pull them out of my toolbox. And she's like, why do you have these? And I'm like, well, I had some electrical wire that I needed to cut. And uh, anyway, so I'm using them for all the wrong reasons, but she's got to have all these tools in order to do what she wants to do out in the flower garden. So here's my uh, title today. Here's my encouragement to all of us. Here's what I want to encourage you with. You're going to love this. Uh, I want to encourage you today to be a tool. How do you like that? To be a tool. Not in a weird way, okay, spastic. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a tool in the hands of God. Because this is the way God has designed it, that he's going to reach this world through you. Through all of his followers, he's going to go into all the world, share the gospel, baptize, and teach. That's what he's going to do. But that's on us. And when things get awkward, we back away from that. And the word isn't getting out, and so I want to free us up today, and I want to encourage you to allow yourself to be a tool in the hands of God to be able to share the gospel, the the great news of Jesus Christ with the people around you, especially those who don't know Christ. Now, this is a major problem. I told you earlier that we're not doing what we're called to do, and you might go, well, how can you say that? Well, let me show you how I can say that, why this is such a big issue today, and why we're going to keep it basic, because I think just by keeping it basic, I hope that we're able to take the first couple of steps to accomplish the goal of sharing our faith, because here's the problem, 82% of the world around us that doesn't know Christ, 82% said that if they were invited by a trusted friend or relative, that they would actually accept it and they would go to church with them, 82%. But the problem is 73% of unchurched adults in the United States have never been invited. 73% have never been asked to come to church with with somebody. Why? Because only 2% of church-going people invite someone to their church in any given year. 2%. Even though you heard what I just said out of Matthew 28, Jesus said to every one of us, Go, preach the gospel. Go, share with the world around you who I am, and only 2% are ever going out and inviting anyone. Now, I'm sure that there might be more that are sharing their faith with people, but we've got to do a better job. I think this discrepancy is too great for us to sit back and go, no, we don't have to worry about it. When I look at this as a pastor, I go, we as pastors are not doing our job in equipping the saints for the work that God has for them. So today, what I want to do is I just want to give you some very simplistic steps that you can take and sharing the gospel with the people around you. I want to look at this passage in John chapter 4, and then I want to pull out of John chapter 4, I want to pull just three core principles that I think that we can we can read into this story that give us these principles all about watering and, and planting seed in the world around us. And this story is an amazing story. If you've never heard it, it's all about Jesus going through an area that most Jews would never walk through. It's a, it's a It's an area called Samaria, and the Samaritans and the Jews hated one another. They didn't get along, and and so the Jews would actually go the long route to walk around Samaria. They wouldn't even go through it, but Jesus, he's different. He goes right through the heart of it, and and he goes right to a little village named Sychar, and he stops at a well, and and this well is actually referred to as Jacob's well. And there's this interaction that happens between Jesus and a Samaritan woman who, who doesn't know the way. And by the way, just as a side note, when we were getting ready to launch this church, one of the names that we had on the board that I really liked that we almost named this church was Jacob's Well, just because of this story, because it was our heart to go where most people wouldn't go to reach the people that don't know Christ, that are furthest from him. Jesus walks right through Samaria. He stops at this well. And while he's sitting there, it's in the middle of the day, this woman comes to draw water. And we know that she's a woman of disgrace because she comes at a time when most, most women wouldn't. Most women would either come in the early morning before it got hot, or they would come later in the evening after the heat of the day had gone down to draw their water. But she comes in the middle of the day. And you'll find out here in a minute why. But I think it's because she's tired of the ridicule, she doesn't want to be looked down upon, she doesn't want to hear the whispers anymore, and so she comes when all the other women are not there, and she comes and finds Jesus sitting at this well, and Jesus is there to meet with her, and she doesn't know it, and he asked her for a drink of water, and she's shocked by this, because first of all, She's a Samaritan and he's a Jew, but he's a male and she's she's a woman, and, and this just doesn't happen in this culture. And yet he asked for this drink of water. And she says, Why are you asking me for this drink? And Jesus answers in verse 10. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? I want to stop for a minute and just say, we read this and we're like, come on, really? You're going to say that to Jesus? But don't we do the same thing? Like Jesus has given us all these promises and we read through scripture and we read them and and we know what he desires for us. And yet so often we're like, you don't have a rope or a bucket. How are you going to make this happen? This well is too deep, Jesus. My, My situation is too hard. I can't see how you're ever going to work in this. And don't we, don't we judge what God can do based upon what we can see. We do this so often. God can do whatever he wants to do. Way beyond anything we could ever imagine. She says, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Like that's going to make a difference to Jesus. Now she goes on, she asks like, what are you greater than our ancestors? Jacob, who actually dug this well. And it goes on in verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh babbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. It's an amazing uh, way that Jesus kind of piques her interest, if you will. He starts, starts her down this path. He's talking about something she's familiar with, and, and he's trying to pique her interest so that he might be able to tell her who he is. Jesus goes on to say, look, if you want this water, go and get your husband and bring him back. And she says something very interesting. She's like, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, I know you don't. And actually, you've been married five times before, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. And she does something very interesting. She says, look, I can see that you're a prophet. And look how she tries to twist this conversation in verse 20. So tell me, why is it that you, Jews, insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Griezmann, where our ancestors worshipped? He just called her out on something. And she begins to twist the conversation in a different direction. And I want to stop for a minute and just tell you this. When you go to share your testimony with people around you, to to speak out about your faith, about Jesus who has transformed your life, so often, I've, I've realized this as I've witnessed to people, so often they will try to take that conversation and they'll twist it to a religious conversation. You'll end up talking about theological stances or positions or different denominations or the differences between different religions, and they'll twist it. And and here's my advice to you. I just want to give this to you in hopes that you can remember this as you start to witness to the people around you. It is not about religion. It is about a relationship. You don't have to get drawn into where the church stands on certain theological issues. You don't have to get drawn into where churches have gone wrong or why certain religions are bad or good. All you need to do is make sure that you remember, my job is to plant and water and to point them to Jesus. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And if you can keep that in mind, then you'll continually point to Jesus. That's why we say pointing people to Jesus by fostering a relationship. Jesus goes on to say, look, there's a time coming when none of this is going to be true. Like, you're not going to worship on that mountain or that mountain. He says, we're going to start to worship in spirit. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him will do so in spirit and in truth. He starts to tell her, look, there's a better day coming. And here we are at Holy Week, uh, Palm Sunday, when we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem before he gives his life. And, and pretty soon on Friday, we're going to remember his death on Sunday, Easter Sunday next week. We're going to celebrate his resurrection. And what he's doing in this moment is he's pointing to when he goes to the cross, gives up his life, and then he, he comes back to life, everything's going to change. No longer will God's Spirit be contained to the Holy of Holies in the temple of Jerusalem. No longer will you have to worship Him on that mountain or this mountain. My Holy Spirit, He says, will be in you and you'll be able to worship in spirit and in truth regardless of where you're at. Look at the response in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who said who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the what? The Messiah. It's interesting to me, as you read through, especially the last year of the life of Jesus, how often he's asked by people, Pharisees, by Pilate even, and he remains silent. But yet here, standing with this woman, a Samaritan woman, he tells her straight up, I am the Messiah. You don't see this very often in Scripture. But to those that are far away from him, he's he's willing to go, look, I'm the Messiah. Can I just say that Jesus will reveal himself to each and every person when, when he sees fit. He'll do it at the right time. For some, it'll be in five minutes. For others, it'll be in 50 years. But he desires that no one should perish. And he's waiting for that opportunity to be able to reveal himself to each and every person. Now, right after this happens and he says, I'm the Messiah, uh, there's an interesting, awkward moment for this whole story. Because about this time, the disciples come back into the picture and they find Jesus at the well with this woman. And it says that they're confused. Like, why is he here with this woman? And then why is he talking to her? But here's what's great about it. Uh, It's Jesus, so they don't want to ask him. They don't even ask him. But Jesus has gone way out of his way for this divine appointment with this woman at this well. He has revealed to her who he is. And then I want you to see, because he planted and watered seed, I want you to see the result of that in verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. 82% come and see, and they came streaming to meet Jesus. Now, what I want to do is I want to share with you three core principles that I think that we can pull from this passage as it relates to watering and planting seed in the people around us, especially those who don't know Christ. The first one is going to seem very elementary, but it's one that we so often forget, and it drives everything that we do. The first core principle that I would give you is that relationships are important. They're important. And I would go as far as to say this relationships are of utmost importance. Like, like they're more important than anything else. Uh, God placed a high importance on relationships. It says in John 3.16, for God so what? For God so what? Love the world that he sent his son to die for it. You, you don't put anything higher than that. Um, Jesus placed a high importance on relationships. We just uh, went through a series in Philippians, and Philippians chapter two, verse five, says that we should have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had, who came and gave his life up for those who didn't know him. Relationships are important. Why are they so important? Because it's the only thing that you can take from this life to the next. Cars, house, accolades, title, None of that will follow you. The only thing that will follow you from this life into the next is the relationships that God has blessed you with. Are you having an impact? Are you placing that at the top of the list? Or do you fall into the same trap that I do? You're at King Supers and you see somebody and you go down a different aisle. I just don't have time for this right now, right? Or somebody comes by, the neighbor's crossing your yard and you're like, and you take a real quick turn back into the garage? Or maybe in the lobby out here on a Sunday morning, you know? Hey, quick, get the donuts, let's get in there so we don't have to talk to anybody. Are you placing a high importance on, on relationships? Because this is the bottom line. This is the most important thing. We miss it when we place importance on everything else and we leave out the relationships. This is why our mandate... It's pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships because if Jesus was here, that's exactly what he would be doing. He would be going out of his way to meet with some woman that is far from him at some well, at a time when nobody else would be there. Are we doing that? This means relationships are important. It means that we actually have to care. We have to care about the people around us. Do we do that? Do our actions show that? So I think this is where it starts. Relationships are important. And then the second core principle I would give you is know the soil that you're planting in. Know the soil you're planting in. And that might sound kind of odd to you. You're like, okay, where'd you get that from? Uh, I would say, obviously, Jesus went out of his way. He knew what the woman needed to hear at the right time. But for you and me, I think looking at this parable in Matthew chapter 13 is important. Jesus tells a parable, and I'm not going to go into it this morning because you're going to unpackage this in your life groups this week. And I don't want to steal that thunder because you're going to have a lot of fun with this this week. Uh, but you're going to dive into Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says a parable. He says there's a farmer that goes along and he plants seed and he gives four different soils in which he plants seed. The first one is on a footpath which is just rock. And it says that that seed birds comes uh, come down and they eat it. It doesn't even have a chance to grow. Uh, The second soil is shallow soil, and it's got rock underneath it. It's very shallow. Seed takes root, springs up very quickly. But when the sun comes out, it scorches it, and it dies because the roots weren't very deep. The third one is is thorny soil. And he says he throws seed on there, and the, the seed takes root, and it grows up. But because of all the thorns and the weeds, it chokes it out. And then the last one is fertile soil. And this one's interesting because he says he throws seeds on it, and it produces 30, 60, and even 100 times what was planted. So it produces a lot of fruit because it was in soil that was very fertile. Now, when I said know the soil you're planting in, Jesus goes on later on in that chapter, to be asked by the disciples, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, Here's what I meant: the seed is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the word. And, and the soil are the different hearts, the people that that's being given to. And so when I say, know the soil you're planting in, know the heart of the person, where they stand, and are they receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ? If you look at the parable and you apply it to where you're at today or whoever you're talking to, you would say it this way. The footpath would actually represent a hard heart. And you'll run into some of these. Maybe you know them. You've been trying to witness to them for many, many years. And they've been very, very resistant to the gospel. It's a hard heart. The next one, which is this soil that has a very, very small amount of soil, and there's a rock underneath it. There's rock layer underneath it. Uh, couldn't get down a lot of root. This would be a very shallow heart. Somebody that maybe you share the gospel with, and they get excited about it right away, but then they just kind of fade away. Or, or maybe trials hit a rough patch comes in their life and they just kind of walk away from it. This is a shallow heart. Uh, The next one, a thorny soil would represent actually a crowded heart. Uh, There's so many other things that are going on in their life that they just can't find time or a place for Jesus Christ in their life. And I think this is the one that we deal with so often in our culture today. And then, of course, the fertile soil actually just represents a receptive heart. And when you're reaching out to an out relationship and you're, you're trying to explain to them who Jesus Christ is, you have to know what soil you're planting in. Where's their heart at? Because this will dictate how you approach them or, or maybe you know, how, what you say or how you share your story with them. And this is very important for us to understand. We have to stay in tune with, with not only that relationships are important, but know the soil that you're planting in. And then the third core principle that I would give you today is that you have to be a student of the culture. You need to be a student of the culture. Uh, If you were around years ago and you were trying to testify to people, maybe back in the 50s, 60s, whatever it might be, times have changed. I remember hearing stories of of, evangelistic movements and things like that back in the 60s. It was different back then because the majority of the people had a foundation. We were a a Judeo-Christian culture and they had a foundation and you could build off of that today that's no longer the case the majority of the people that you talk to today have no church background that's this area out here it's amazing to me how many people you can talk to and you can't say hey do you know the story of Jonah and the well because they have no clue they've never heard it before they don't have that foundation so you have to be a student of the culture and understand where they're at this is where fostering relationship matters because you got to be able to figure out what do they know where do they stand what what are their thoughts about God, or if there is a God, you have to be a student. Uh, another thing that you're going to run into with our culture, and you have to be a student of this, is what we call moralism. Uh, I've seen two things play out in our, in our culture out here so often. First one's moralism. There's a lot of people that feel like if they're just good enough, they're going to make it to heaven. It's, it's okay. I'm okay. I've done more good in my life than bad. God's going to let me in. And you guys know that read through the scriptures that that's not the way it works. It's not about how good you are. It's about who you've claimed as your savior and you can't save yourself. No one's that good. We've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's only through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the father except through me. It's not about how good you are but it's about the sacrifice that Jesus made and whether you've received that or not. The other thing that I've seen play out is what I'd call pluralism. Um, Well, okay, fine. I do believe there's God. I do believe, you know, you can't can't be good enough. But what about Buddhism? What about Mormonism? And start going down the list. And then they feel, pluralism says this, that yes, you need a way to God, but there are many ways to God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Have you heard that before? That's pluralism. And this is what we're dealing with in our culture. And you have to be a student of the culture. You have to know where they stand in order to be able to speak into that. And so um, relationships are important. You have to know the soil that you're planting in, and you have to be a very good student of the culture. Now, here's what I want to do I want to wrap this up by giving you a challenge. And, and I want to share with you just three steps on how I want you to to approach this week as we lead up to Easter in hopes that you would be able to do this and just be able to share your faith with somebody around you. I want to show you how simple this is, all right? This is the way we're going to teach it. First of all, I want you to listen to their story. Whether it's uh, somebody at work, at school, whether it's a family member, I want you to listen to their story because this um, is how you prove to yourself that relationships are important. It's how you figure out uh, you know what type of soil their heart is. It's how you figure out what the culture is, how they've been raised, what do they believe. This is the only way that you do it: is by listening to their story. Uh, you want to do something absolutely amazing. You want to foster a friendship. Listen to their story. Ask questions. My wife and I uh, we've done this many times. We'll sit down with someone, and and I don't want to call it a game, but it's it's something that it's a practice that we get into. We just say this before we meet with them. Let's not talk about ourselves. Let's see how much we can learn about them tonight. And what we try to do is we just try to sit and listen and ask questions and try, get this, try to never talk about ourselves. How hard is that, right? Right? that's kind of our, that's our nature. We just want to jump in there and tell our own stories and prove how awesome we are and tell them, you know, what a great life we've had. And and, and the reality is, if you can just be quiet and ask questions and try to learn as much, here's what's going to happen. They're going to call you the next day and go, hey, when can we hang again? When can we get back together? Do you know why? Because that's true friendship. When you listen, it communicates, I care. I care about you. And actually care. I'm not saying just listen. to say, okay, I'm listening. But to listen and honestly try to learn as much as you can about them. So after you listen to their story, the hope is that they would ask about yours. And, and then that's where number two comes in. Share your story. Remember last week I, I encouraged you to write out your testimony in two minutes? And we taught you the method of B, C, at AC. The idea was a two-minute testimony. And you start off by talking about what was life before Christ-like, and then at Christ? What, what happened when you received Christ? How did you come to know Christ? And then what has your life been like after you've come to know Christ? And I said, just write that out in a two-minute testimony and be ready to share that. This is why. Because I want you to listen to their story, and then I want you to be ready that when you're asked, you can give them your testimony in two minutes or less. We're not gonna bore them, but we're gonna share with them what Jesus has done in our lives. And do it in a very, very thought-out way. This is why this is so important. You've got to sit down and figure that out. And so after you share your story, here's our hope that they would ask you, tell me more about Jesus. Why does he mean so much to you? And you know what you get to do at that moment? You get to do number three. You get to share his story. You get to share his story. First of all, listen to theirs, share yours, and then share his. It's that simple, And so I hope that this week you'll be looking for opportunities to listen to someone's story. And if asked, share yours. And then if you're asked again, share his. Here's what's great about it. Our job is to plant and water. That's it. God is the one that makes it grow. God will open the door for this to happen if you're looking for it, if you're praying for it, if you're looking for an opportunity to share, it will come your way. This share his story is so important. I love the way that story ended in John 4, the Samaritan woman. She goes back and it says, come and see. Like she couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus. Um, I, I want to say something. I want to say it very tactfully. If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a very long time, can I ask you just to gauge your passion for Jesus? Because nothing bothers me more than to have somebody who calls themselves a Christian and they are depressing to be around. They have no passion for Jesus. Can you just for a moment just hit the pause button and remember back to the moment that you received Christ and what what that was like? Can we get that passion back? We've got people who have just been recently baptized and they have this great passion and they run into you and you demoralize them. I think we need to work it the other way. Let their passion rub off on you and regain that love for Jesus Christ that you once had. And if that were to happen, I think we would see this take place over and over and over again. We would see doors open. We would see people coming to know Jesus left and right. Come and see. Come and see. Because if we're truly in love with Jesus, we can't help ourselves but to share his story with the people around us. 82% of the people that you run into this week if you ask them to come to church with you next Sunday will come. But only 2% are even asking. And I did the math. I thought, you know, average, if we just took the average attendance here on a Sunday morning and if we went out every one of us invited one person, if 82% of those said yes, we would be over 1100 next Sunday. That's how that works. But see, they they want an invite. They want you that has fostered a relationship with them to ask them and to invite them. I want you to listen to their story. And when you get asked, I want you to share yours. And if it goes any further, share his. Plant and water. Be a tool in the hands of God. And watch God make it grow. Can I pray for that? Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for each person in this room, for their heart for you. I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength to be able to to pray through, to watch for opportunities, to foster relationships with the people around them. God, I'm asking specifically that you would just open opportunities for us to share our story and then to share yours. God, help us to plant and water, not to be awkward about it, but just to let it flow through who we are Because that's who we are in you. And Lord, I pray that this would start to reach other people that don't know you. Help us to change, transform this dark and dying world around us. People all around us needing to hear about you. I pray that you would just use us as your instruments to reach the world around us. Lord, I pray that all of this continues to grow your kingdom and brings great glory and honor to your name. The name of Jesus Christ. In all God's people said.
0: Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 10:45 a.m. at 1955, Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless.